It's your first time here. You've stepped into the middle uh, of a sermon series on the book of Colossians. We, uh, this is our typical practice is to preach through a book of the Bible. And how about Chris last week on prayer? It was such a good message. Give him a big hand. Um, just, just blessed me all throughout this week. Um, th- this morning we're in chapter 1 and we're going to start in verse 15 through 23 here in just a minute. Anybody wear contacts? Got contact wears? I don't have to ask if you wear glasses. I see a few around. You know, I usually wear contacts. You're probably like, well, who, why does he have glasses on? Um, but I'm not a great contact wearer. I'm not real responsible. And uh, so when I finally do take them out, I was like, I would think I'll give my eyes like a couple weeks of rest here. Like I do all the days that I should do throughout six months and do them all in a row at the end. Um, but I remember the first time I went to the eye doctor, and it feels like when you go to the eye doctor, I just know I'm on candid camera every time. <laughs> don't you feel that way when they start flipping that thing back and they say, if one better or two? I'm like, it, I don't know if it changed. Is this a joke? Like, and by the time it gets to the end, it's, I'm so stressed out every time. Um, but I remember the, the first time I went, I was in fourth grade, and I was having trouble, I thought, at school seeing, and I went to the eye doctor, and they checked my eyes and said, yeah, you need glasses. And I got them on and went back into the classroom, and things that were blurry, used to be chalkboards, who remembers a chalkboard, um, and I, I could see it all. And, and so this morning, what I, what I hope is that experience of excitement for me being able to see visually Things that were blurry at one time became clear. Uh, This morning, my hope is that things we struggle to see spiritually about Jesus and truly understand about him. There's somebody here this morning that moves beyond, I've heard about Jesus my whole life, I know all about him, and I've been to all these Christmas plays and went to Sunday school, but you've not anchored in in a relationship with him yet. Maybe you, you understand, but you go a little deeper this morning. Some of you, it's maybe like, yeah, I just kind of heard about Jesus from buddies. I never really went to church. I don't know anything about it. Uh, this morning, what we have in this passage is what some people say are Paul's greatest concentration of truths about who Jesus is in his epistles. So in the New Testament, and all the letters that he wrote, these verses, 15 through 23, man, they lay out some deep stuff about Jesus. This could get super boring really fast, okay? But y'all aren't going to let it get boring, right? We're going to do some some complex things. We're going to try to make it as simple as we can and get through these. Probably could have preached a month on these nine verses, but we're going to do it in one day. Um, And we're going to hit the high points and get, well, what's this mean to me? So the, the question is, what's the big deal about Jesus? Why is he different than my neighbor Bob? You got a neighbor Bob? I don't either, I don't think. But why is he different? Why was he different than Peter? Why was he different than, than, than uh, Elijah? Why was he different from all these people? Why is he different from Gandhi? Why is he different from Buddha? Why is he different? What's the big deal about this man from Nazareth who was a carpenter whose name was Jesus. The thing was, Paul was writing this letter to the church at Colossae because they had been getting confused a little bit. They started out in the faith, and they had strong faith in Jesus. But now there were some false teachings starting to creep their way into the church. Uh, starting to teach things like uh, Jesus was on the same level as angels. You should worship angels and Jesus. They were teaching things like, yes, Jesus plus works. You've got you to gotta do all the rites and the rules of the, the old Jewish traditions uh, to be a Christian. Um, uh, they were teaching things like Jesus wasn't really a man or he wasn't really God. And, and so there was all these confusing things, and they were taking parts of pagan religions and just kind of making up their own, not much different than the culture 
we live in today. And so here is really his confrontation. With anybody that's teaching the false thing, this is like a, a, a home run left hook swing into the lies that they were propitiating. When I was in business school, they had these things um, for, for companies, you know, they would have kind of strategic goals, and, but they had this one thing called a big, hairy, audacious goal, BHAG, B-H-A-G. It was like this thing that was, that was so big and so hard to wrap your mind around, but it cast like this big vision. It was aspirational. Amazon said this, every book ever printed in any language, all available in less than 60 seconds. If somebody would have said that 30 years ago, you'd have been like, there's no way that could ever happen. And now you're like, yeah, that's on my phone while I'm making coffee. I can read you know, any, any book at any time and find it. Um, and so what we find here are, are, are big, hairy, audacious claims. These are not goals. These are claims that Paul writes and makes about Jesus. And we're going to walk through them this morning. I, this is not a three-point sermon. I think there's seven maybe of these. So I want you to take notes. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one, but these are truths. These are claims about Jesus that we all need to understand um, and, and apply here today. And then at the end, we will get to the core of the real thing. What's the big deal about this man named Jesus? Y'all ready? Let's read the scripture. Chapter 1, verses 15. We're going to read through 23. There's a lot of words. In these lot of words, there's a lot of truth. A lot of truth has changed a lot of lives. Has changed your life. Potential to change it if you haven't trusted in him. Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he, Jesus, has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. The last verse. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. That's our passage today. Do you see the power 
in that passage. Let's jump right in. First thing we find here, this, this uh, audacious claim about Jesus is that he is God. If I said, hey, my neighbor Bob, he's God, you'd be like, yeah, okay. It's pretty audacious, right? Are you, all there? Are you out there? He is God, is what Paul says here. He says, Jesus is God. Here's the verses. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. When I was a kid, about 10 years old, there was this cool movie came out. Y'all probably getting ready to watch it in the next few months called Home Alone. Y'all remember that movie, Home Alone? Well, I was about the same age as Kevin. And people seemed to think I had a resemblance of Kevin. And so I would find myself at Walmart or, the, you know, wherever we were out, and people would stop me in the aisle, usually like grandmothers, and they would stop me and be like, you know you look just like Kevin from Home Alone. And they'd be getting their friends and their family, and they'd bring them over. It's like, hey, will you do the aftershave scene? Like, so, like, I don't know how many times at random times in Walmart you could have found me when I was 10 or 11 going, ah, and, you know, and they made me do it over and over. Then they get more people to come and do it. And, and they thought I looked like Kevin. But I was not Kevin. What Paul does, he does not say here that Jesus looked like God. He said he is God. The Greek word here is the manifestation and you go on to verse 19, it says, God in all his fullness. And, and this is Paul like speaking right into the Greek religion people, philosophers of that day that says that, that that word fullness, the Greek word, meant all the divine powers in the entire universe. That God in all his divinity was pleased to live in Christ. Jesus is God. He's not similar. He wasn't kind of like him. He was God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. According to an author, Vincent, this Greek word was used by Gnostic teachers in a technical sense to express the sum total of divine powers and attributes. Christ may have been ranked and th with these inferior images of the divine by the Colossian teachers, hence the significance of the assertion that the totality of the divine dwells in him. No matter who you meet or what claim you hear, there is nobody today that God is, that is God. Jesus was and is God. He didn't look like Kevin. He was Kevin. All right? You get me? You with me? And I hope I don't look like him still. Y'all seen him lately? <laughs> he, Jesus, he was not created. And these are some things we're going to spend just a few seconds on that you've not really maybe thought about or, or maybe you've just taken for granted. Or, and there's some thought here and some knowledge, so you're going to stay with me a minute. But Jesus was not created. He existed, this is verse 15, he existed before anything else was created and is supreme over all creation. If you take notes, you've got he is God, he was not created. That's where we're at at this point. He was the firstborn, if you have that translation. 
um, of creation, and that means both in time, he existed before anything else was created, and also in rank. He is supreme. He is in control. He was the, the creator. Um, for me, that's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. I can kind of get my arms around eternity into the future, like heaven and eternity and live forever. That kind of feels like, well, I can kind of get that. But, man, this is mind-blowing for me. This is audacious for me to say, this guy wasn't created. Like, before the universe, before all created things, he existed eternally into the past, infinitely. He's just always been. He was not created. It sets him above the order of angels who he created. Sets him above the earth which he created. Puts him above humanity because he is the creator of humanity. He was not created. He existed before anything else. Third audacious claim. Everything was made by him and for him. I used to think when I was a kid and I'd hear that and say, God made everything. I'd be like, he made my five-disc CD changer? Is he working a factory? He made the car? He made the refrigerator? Jesus is so cool. And so you start asking that question. They're like, well, no, that was actually made in a factory by people. But here's the truth of what Paul is claiming here, that everything that ever has been, from, from the black bear that we saw on Pine Mountain a few weeks ago to, to giraffes roaming in Africa... To you and to me, God created all things. He is the creator of everything. And anything we think, man, we did good, we ran a business, we were doctors, we were, we were teachers, we were, we were successful, we were this or we were that. All that creativity, and yet you could not in one ounce have any input on your creation. <laughs> And we can be reminded and humbled in this moment that all good things come from above. Amen. That he is the creator of all things. Here we have this question that we often ask ourselves. And if you go to went to college or been in college, philosophy 101, he says, why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? And he answers that. At the end of Colossians 1.16, he says, everything was created through him. And for him, everything was created by him and for him. Everything, you'd be like, yeah, that's cool. But you can also bring it down to the individual. I could say Kelsey was made by him and for him. I could say Sherry was made by him and for him. All the other purposes that you think you might be existing for source from that. You might find your purpose as a spouse, as a mom, as a dad, as a friend, as a physician, as a teacher. You might find all, your, your, but at the essence of who you are, where your real value exists and is created, is that the God of all creation made you, Jesus made you, and you were made to be in relationship 
with him. You'll spend your whole life feeling empty until you get back into relationship with your creator. You were made to be, and you really can't find the purpose of your life until you reconnect with him. All right, you were made by him and for him. Think about these crazy things. Saturn's rings are 500,000 miles in circumference. How thick do you think they are? Good guess. A foot. Think about 500,000 miles in outer space around a planet, and it's only a foot thick. If the sun were the size of a beach ball and put on top of the Empire State Building, the nearest group of stars would be as far away uh, as Australia to the Empire State Building. Do you imagine if the sun and, and, and the earth and, and we were just a half of a half of a half of a degree on a separate angle? The whole place falls apart. He is the creator of all things. We also find here, uh, without him, everything would fall apart. He says he created everything, but he also holds it all together. Aren't you thankful for that? You're like, he's not holding it together. I'm holding it together. Try it without gravity. Yeah. Try to hang out here and just keep it all together. And we'll see. She's <laughs> flying out the door, stuck on the ceiling. He is holding it all together. He created physics and biology and chemistry. And every depth of level we go in understanding it more, we're understanding the language and the mind of God. He's not only the creator, he's the sustainer. He holds everything together. He's holding your Tahoe together. He's holding your home together. Maybe he's holding your marriage together. Maybe he's holding your family together. Maybe he's holding your life together. Without him, everything would fall apart. Mike shared, uh, Brother Mike Atkins, he led a devotional at our elder meeting this week, and, um, and he was talking about mercy and grace from First Peter. And he had been at the beach the last week, in which we were all jealous of. And so we had to pray and repent about that. But he was talking about, he was sitting there on the beach, and he was, uh, he was watching the waves, and he said, I was just looking at that body of water, and we know the power that that body of water holds. A hurricane comes, flooding comes. And he says, I was watching that wave as it would roll up on the beach, and it would stop. And we realize that in the mind of God, in the creator mind that he has, that he is sustaining the tidal gravity that moves the wave this far and it stops. That that is the God that we serve. This one is, is audacious to me. If I said my neighbor Bob was doing this, you'd be like, you've lost your mind. See, Jesus, he's calling out, empowering, and leading an army of believers that spans space and time. That's wrapped up in this one little verse. And he is the head of the body. The church. 
See, not only is he supreme over all creation, he's our creator. He's also supreme over the church, the body of Christ. And, and that word church, it means ecclesia. It's the called out. It's those who have been called out who believe in Jesus. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not New Beginnings Church and Methodist Church and this church and that church. This is the total body, some body of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And he's doing it through space and time, like through the last centuries. He's been calling people out from every generation and, and, and reaching them through his grace and his mercy. And he's building this army of believers to do good in the world and share the good news with the world across all geographies and, and nations and, and, and languages and, and nationalities and backgrounds. He's building this spiritual army. Man, isn't that exciting to be a part of that this is an audacious claim about this man Jesus when he says he's the head of the church. It's kind of like uh, that Greek word has all kinds of kind of connotations of meeting. One is like the head of a river. You've been to the head of a river? There's no river without the head, just saying like the source of the church. It's kind of like the, the head of a kingdom. He's the, the ruler. He is the leader of the church. We also know that it is him inside of us and his resurrection power empowering the church. Amen. And so he's putting this army together. The, the Greek word, let me just share some of this, is properly people called out from the world and to God, the outcome being the church, the body of Christ. It's the universal total body of believers whom God calls out from the world and into his eternal kingdom is the whole body of Christian believers. Another audacious claim, he died as a man and was resurrected. Started out with he is God, but then he talks about him dying in his physical body. And so he's addressing really two false teachings here. He's teaching one that God would never come down here and live as a man. He wouldn't do that. He says, no, he was fully God. And so the other side of that was, well, he was just a spirit. He wasn't really a man. He says, no, he, his physical body died on the cross. He died and was resurrected. If my neighbor Bob ever dies and I see him at double quick three days later, <laughs> I will know that this is an audacious claim. That not only did he die, but he was resurrected. He defeated death. What no one else could do. He's the firstborn of those who were raised again from those among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. The last audacious claim, he says, he is our savior. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. There's a bunch of big, hairy, audacious claims about Jesus. He is God. He was not created. Everything was made by him and for him. Without him, everything would fall apart. He's calling out an army of believers. He died as a man and was resurrected. And he is our only hope as a savior from this, uh, th this sin problem that we have. 
You say, well, that's all his claims. What's the big deal about that? I mean, that's a lot of big deals for me. I feel like he's definitely different than Bob, my neighbor. It's a pretty big deal. But here's where it gets real. The big deal is that by simply, as he said in verse 4 of Colossians, that he was so excited about their faith in Jesus Christ. The big deal is that as you hear all these things and you're exposed to the gospel, they are not just like any other historical uh, uh, person that you study about and somebody in history and a great leader or a great teacher. Like there's, the, the, there's power behind this. The big deal is because if you believe it, <laughs> oh man. If you believe it, if you put your faith and your trust in these things I've shared with you this morning, if you recognize that you're sinful and you've made mistakes and you've rejected God over time and you've been selfish, and if you accept those things and you believe, but he came and he died for me anyway, he lived perfectly, he was resurrected. You see, he, God just, he doesn't just forgive you. Something tremendous happens. Something supernatural happens. I saw this thing on Facebook the other day. There was a couple. They were celebrating 18, 19, 20 years of marriage. I can't remember. And uh, the wife had shared it. And she said, maybe, uh, maybe now he will change uh, and make our marriage Facebook official and change his relationship status. And you see, that means a lot in our culture. You see, God, just, he does not just change. He, just, he does not just forgive us, but he changes our status, our spiritual status, a supernatural change. You're not just changed and forgiven. Your position becomes different because here's, here's the truth of what he says in verse 21. And go back to, you've got to remember, he's talking about those that believe that have put their faith in him. It says those include, this includes G Jared. Both Jareds since there's been two today. But me. See, I was once far away from God. I once only cared about myself. Or maybe I once thought I could do enough good to please God, and I was just trying to do all the right things, and I was giving, wasn't cussing. I was being so good. And I found pride in that, that I thought I could please God. It says, this includes Jared, who was once so far away from God, I was his enemy. And I was separated from him, eternally, hopelessly separated from him by my evil thoughts and actions. And so the big deal is that he changes our position. He moves us from there where we are an enemy, where, where we are so hopelessly lost. We are alienated and separated from God. It says, yet now Jesus has reconciled you to himself. Despite of your pride, despite of your sin, no matter your past, it doesn't take, oh, I got to straighten up, I got to figure life out, and I got to be a better dad or a better husband or wife, or, you know, I, 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 it doesn't take any of that. 
Just simple faith and believing him changes your position. He says, now you reconcile him through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his presence. This is not a new leaf. This is not, I'm going to try harder. This is God just picked me up out of the pits of darkness and placed me into the light, into his kingdom. And from there, you see the inward change that begins to happen inside of you over time. What was old becomes new. What was dead finds life. And it says, He has brought you into his own presence and you're holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I couldn't do that on my own. I've got all kinds of faults. I still have all kinds of faults. And he wraps up this final verse. And he says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Even these believers who were walking and faithful that we're starting to get distracted. Let me ask you this morning, are you distracted? Have you started trying to add something on top of Jesus that if you thought I could just do this or be that? And Paul is drawing you and me and this church at Colossae, and this, this writing is drawing us back. You must continue to believe this truth. And the truth is this. The truth is Jesus... Plus nothing else, not plus church membership, not plus good behavior, not plus you know, 10% giving, not plus, not plus anything else. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And simply by putting your faith and trust and believing all the audacious things we just said about Jesus, everything in your life changes. Your eternity changes. Your present changes. You have hope for eternity. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your marriage. In his power, not yours. Don't carry the weight. If you feel the burden, if you're feeling worn out, if you're feeling exhausted, just go back to this. If you're struggling with some sin and temptation and thing in your life, and don't think, I'm going to try harder to not do that. Just go deeper into Jesus. Continue to believe this truth that he picked you up out of darkness and placed you in to light. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these audacious claims about a man who walked 2,000 years ago. Who aren't, it's not just an academic exercise, this is a my life exercise. I'm reminded through this that I was created by you and for you. I'm reminded to draw my strength from you. I'm reminded that, 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 that your grace is what saved me. I'm reminded to be drawn closer and continue in believing in the depth of the truth of who you are, of who Jesus is, that I don't need anything else in this world. God, I pray as you work on hearts all across the building, 
who've reversed this equation. Maybe they have Jesus in it and, and plus sports, plus school, plus wealth, plus. Or maybe they've just taken Jesus out completely and something else has become their everything. God, draw our hearts back to you. If we want to see change, if we want to see hope, if we want to see transformation, it is in Jesus plus nothing. It's in his name we pray. Amen.